But over these next few weeks, uh, we are actually going to begin a new sermon series, a sermon series that um, will be an annual tradition for us here at Treasuring Christ Church, the Renew series that we will do every new year, an opportunity for us uh, to revisit our mission and renew our commitment to Christ and His church. And that's exactly what we're going to begin today. And as I think about what we need for 2021 I can't help but think about uh, the need for us to return to the basics, the basics of the Christian life, the basics of who we are as a church, the basics of what it means to live on mission. You know, I I remember thinking back uh, to our Renew series in 2020, uh, and there were all kinds of jokes uh, flying about, about uh, vision series for 2020, and vision is always 2020, and uh, excuse me, hindsight is always twenty twenty, and uh, after this year, I, I pray that maybe we can set aside that uh, that statement that hindsight is twenty twenty. Uh, if that's the case, none of us are going to be looking back on anything. Uh, I think instead we want to move forward, uh, and we want twenty twenty one vision. Um, and so I'm praying that God helps us as we move into the new year and. Not, not necessarily look to something new, but return to something old, to return to the basics that are pivotal for us to, to be faithful to Christ and be faithful uh, to his church and to the mission that he has entrusted to us. When I think about back to the basics, I, I can't help but think about something that's become uh, somewhat of a staple in our household, uh, especially uh, as it's turned cold over the last few months. And and that uh, is uh, the, the basics of building a fire. You see, when we moved into our house at the beginning of this year, we had a wood-burning stove in our den. And, you know, in many ways, we kind of looked at the wood-burning stove and we thought it was cool. It definitely is pretty. It looks really nice there in the corner. But uh, we kind of were sad that we didn't have a fireplace. We, we wanted the aesthetic of a fireplace there in the corner. And uh, over, you know, small talk, we've discussed, you know, well, what it would be like to maybe replace that one day with a fireplace and what all that would look like. And, um, and, and yet, uh, as it began to get cold, we realized, look, we've got this resource that's right here in our house that can heat our house uh, in a much cheaper way than DTE can heat our house. Uh, and, and so uh, we had all this wood outside, and you know, the only thing uh, that was a problem was I needed to figure out how to start the fire. And you know, if you know me, you know I'm an avid outdoorsman. Like I start fires typically uh, with my hands. You know, I love to, to camp and spear fish, you know, and uh, really, you know, that, that's just kind of part and parcel of who I am. Uh, and, you know, if you know anything about me, you know that that's not the case. So, um, uh, of course, what I needed to do in order to start a fire was do what any sensible person in 2020 would do. And that's uh, look at a YouTube video uh, that gave me instructions about how to best start a fire. Now, uh, of course, I, I've been camping. I, I do enjoy uh, a good hike and uh, love being outdoors. 2020 has returned to uh, that um, uh, that interest and that hobby in our family, as I'm sure it has for many of you. Uh, but uh, I don't have good luck with starting a fire. I remember taking a, a camping trip, a hike in college, and my buddies and I, we were committed to only using this flint rock that we brought to carry, to, you know, to, to start a fire. And uh, needless to say, when it came time for us to start a fire, we couldn't get it started. Uh, and so we had to borrow a lighter from an experienced uh, hiker uh, that was camping at the same base area uh, that we were. And so uh, that's kind of my background. So a YouTube video is super helpful. And, you know, when you think about starting a fire, there's a lot of different techniques that people will encourage you in. But the, the most important thing that you need to know are the basics of starting a fire. And in order to have a fire, you need three things. Uh, you need heat, a source of heat, 
uh, you need oxygen and you need fuel. And in the case of a fire, that fuel is typically wood. And the better, uh, the best type of wood is dry wood, of course, that enables you to start a fire quickly and efficiently. And so if you have those three things uh, and you uh, begin to construct the fire with the kindling first, with the light twigs and dry wood first, um, and and then build out, giving some space for the oxygen and the, the heat to work together uh, to, uh, to really burn the wood. You, you can get a good fire going. And, and the beautiful thing about for us, our wood-burning stove, is that fire goes, the heat emanates throughout the house. Uh, and not only do you have the, the, uh, you know, the, the rich smells of uh, Thanksgiving and Christmas food in the house, but you also have the warmth. Uh, of the fire. And, and as it's burning good, you open up those doors and uh, you have the beautiful scenery of the fire there in the corner. It's a wonderful thing. But in order to get all of that, you need the basics of, of how to start the fire. And uh, you, can, you can ask Emily, I've become somewhat of a nerd of you know, learning all the techniques and best ways to start a fire. And I, I've had a few uh, you know, funny, comical uh, errors. I've used up all, all of our lighter. You know, I was using the light, basically just holding it there to start the wood on fire. I figured out a better way to get it started without spending, you know, $3 on one of those lighters every, you know, week or so. Um, <clears throat> so there's all kinds of things you can learn once you get those basics about how to build the fire, but you got to begin there at the basics. And it's helpful to return to the basics as we've navigated a really difficult year, a really trying year. And in some ways, when you, when you go through something so uh, cataclysmic of sorts as 2020 has been, it's important not just to run into the new year running away from where we've been, but it's actually important for us to return to these basics, these foundational elements of our faith and who we are as a church and our mission uh, so that we can be renewed and commit ourselves to what God God has for us in the new year. If you've been at TCC long, and if you haven't, I hope you'll come to know this, but our mission is to multiply disciples who delight in, who declare, and who display the gospel in all of life and for the good of our community. We took our mission from Jesus, who told us to make disciples of all nations, and, and a disciple is somebody who treasures Jesus above everything. They treasure the, the good news that's found in Christ, the good news of great joy for all people that we celebrate at Christmas. And, and a person who treasures Jesus above everything is committed to living a life of making known with their lips, declaring the hope that we found in Christ anyone who will listen as well as intentionally pursuing those who are far from Christ. And then as we declare the gospel, we want that to be matched with a life that would display uh, the character and the, and the life that's found in Christ so that they might see and they might know and they might follow Christ and that we would be faithful witnesses to our Savior who delight and declare and display the gospel. And that's not contained just to one part of our life, but it permeates all of our life. And as we do it, we believe that we'll be faithful to the work that God has called us to do, to seek the good of our community, to bear witness to our Savior, to establish and grow His church, not only here in Ann Arbor at Treasuring Christ, but uh, throughout Southeast Michigan, throughout North America and to the ends of the earth. If we're faithful to our mission, we'll be a church that sees, that sees people treasure Jesus and sees God establish and grow his church in Southeast Michigan, across North America, and to the ends of the earth. Now, as we carry out our mission, that's the flag that we planted that says this is what we're about. We have to ask, how are we going to do it? 
Uh, and, and we've said this in a few different ways, but in many ways, our strategy of going about the work of completing our mission, you could sum it up in this way. It's summed up in five G's. The first is somewhat of a, a cheat because it combines two things and the second word doesn't begin with G. But um, I, I was just pointing that out for the observant. But otherwise, think of five G's. The first is to gather and scatter. We gather as God's people on Sunday to hear his word preached, to fellowship with other believers and to uh, receive the, the ordinances of believer's baptism, which marks the beginning of the Christian life, and the Lord's Supper, with, uh, which, which marks the ongoing strengthening and nourishing of the Christian life. And then as we uh, scatter, we're, we not only are going about our everyday life, but we're going about our everyday life with gospel intentionality, seeking to, to faithfully represent Christ in whatever spheres God has called us into within our work, within our family, within our friendships, within our neighborhood, carrying out the life of Christ and the work of Christ as we scatter in our daily life. We gather as God's people, essential to who we are. That's what the church does. The people gathered under God's word to practice the ordinances, to live out God's mission, but to live out God's mission requires us to do more than just gather together. It requires us to scatter and to scatter with an intentionality to be faithful to Christ. And, and one of the things that happens as we scatter is we, we also have in a way a, a regathering of sorts for us within our midweek rhythm, which is called small groups, the second G. Our groups are where we, uh, we have a space to experience fellowship with others, to grow in spiritual maturity, and to be encouraged to live on mission alongside others, and to do all of this through God's Word as we discuss and apply God's Word to our life. It provides a wonderful opportunity opportunity and context to, to showcase what the Christian life is all about, of life and community around God's Word for the person who may not know Christ, that they might come and see what following Christ is all about. And that is core to who we are, that our small groups aren't, uh, in many ways, they're not a, an extracurricular, extracurricular that could be helpful to you, but, but in many ways, I want to say they're vital uh, to, to what it means for us to carry out our mission. And if you're not connected and engaged in a small group, uh, I want 2021 to be the year that that takes place in your life. And if you're getting connected to TCC and you really want to see what it's all about and what it means to be in community with others, small group provides the context where that takes place. So we gather and scatter. And we are committed to our groups. We, we also, as, as we carry out our mission, we have to grow. To be a people, to multiply disciples who delight in, declare, display the gospel means that we are a people who are constantly growing. We're growing disciples who make disciples. That's part and parcel of what it means to multiply disciples. We, we are uh, developing leaders within the church. You know, as we, in many ways, as we turn into the new year, in a lot of ways, we in 2020 saw a shrinking of the number of people engaged in the work of ministry at TCC. And as we step into the new year, that needs to expand. We we need to see leaders rise up to serve in various capacities. And, and yet, even though it's shrunk in many ways, I want to say at the same time, I've been so encouraged to see how many have stepped up and have been willing to serve in unique and different ways. Uh, serving within kids ministry, serving within our recording process each week, serving uh, in the way that we've been involved in our community, and, and, and also just outside of those regular established things within the church, just how you've served one another, how you've been intentional to pray for one another, to, to call one another, to uh, even find creative ways to, to be uh, together, even if that's been virtually. Uh, we are committed uh, in our mission to, uh, in order for our mission to, to flourish, to be a people who are growing. That's why 
we're committed to, to encouraging personal discipleship relations at relationships at TCC where you're meeting with another person or with two other people to intentionally to pursue a spiritual growth, to grow in God's word, to grow in holiness, to, to grow in living on mission. To, to be a church who multiplies disciples means we need to be a group, we need to be a church full of people who are committed to pursuing discipleship relationships. But also, as we think about growing, we're committed to growing through providing a dedicated learning context in which we can dig into God's Word and other topics in a biblically faithful way that help us live out our faith, help us carry out our mission. That's what equip classes provide, a place for us to, to, to intentionally equip God's people to, to faithfully follow Christ and live on mission. And then a, a fourth G that in some ways has been implicitly stated but not always explicitly brought out. Our fourth G is to give. In order for us to carry out our mission, we have to be a people who are generous. We, we just talked about this in our Sunday uh, evening gathering uh, for Christmas and that as we reflected on Christ and, and on Advent, uh, what we see at Advent is the unexpected generosity of God in giving Christ the greatest gift of all to us. He who was rich became poor so that we might be rich in Him. It's the generosity of God that would compel us in our generosity, but not just financially. That's, that's baseline for the believer that we, we reflect uh, our, our commitment to treasure Christ above everything and, and a willingness to be generous with it, whatever God has given to us. But, but here's, here's how I want you to understand what it means uh, for give to be a part of our strategy is that we give of ourselves and our resources to build up the church as well as to serve our community. You see, to be a people who live on mission mean that we have to be a people who are not bound by just our own interests, but who, who are driven by the interest of, of others. We give of ourselves, we give of our resources to build up the church as God has called us to, as well as to serve our community, to be a blessing to those around us. It's, who, it's what we have to do to carry out our mission to seek the good of our community as well as to, to build up the church. And then finally, the fifth G is to go. We go because we're sent. We're sent by God. He who has called us has also sent us. As the, uh, as the gospel of John records, as Jesus called his disciples together after he was resurrected, he says to them, I'm sending you just as the Father has sent me. And we, sharing in that same mission with the first apostles, uh, that we are sent into the world to represent Christ, to live on mission. We do that as we're sent into the marketplace, into our home, into the world, to work faithfully to Christ, to make disciples and advance the gospel. In particular, at TCC, as we go, we want to go by sending our people into the workplace, a church that doesn't just say goodbye every three to four years, but we actually send our people. Many of you, this is a, a year in which is going to be a transition. We're going to have some who will leave TCC, leave Ann Arbor, and be sent to the next place that God has called them to. You're not just moving. God is reassigning you to a new place to do his work there, just as you have been seeking to do it here. And we want to send our people to advance the gospel through church planning and church revitalization right here in Southeast Michigan, throughout North America, and around the world. This is who we are. We gather and we scatter. We, we regather into our groups and community. We grow through developing disciples and leaders within the church. We give of ourselves and our resources to build the church and serve our community. And we go. We go because we're sent. 
We go because Christ came. We go because Christ is coming again. This is our strategy of how we're to carry out our mission. So, if all of that is true and has been said, what basics do we need to return to to renew our commitment to Christ and His church, and particularly to the mission that God has called us to here at Treasuring Christ Church in 2021? Well, there's two commitments that I think we need to make as we think about the, the basic foundation of knowing Christ. See, I think at the foundation of everything we do, that knowing Christ is what's most important. It's, it's what's most vital if we're going to be faithful to what God has called us to and who He has called us to be. And in order to help us think about what it means to know Christ, I want to encourage you to turn to Philippians chapter 3. We're going to be in verses 1 through 16 in Philippians chapter 3. In Philippians chapter 3, this is a passage in which Paul, as he writes to the church at Philippi, he's encouraging them uh, to, to be grounded and, uh, and anchored in the gospel. He, he's writing in chapter 3 in particular to warn them against false teachers, so those who, uh, who are tempting the church towards legalism, to, to think uh, that, that their faith is most defined by uh, not Christ, but Christ plus keeping uh, the Jewish law. These Judaizers, as they are called, are influencing the church at Philippi. And Paul is aware of what's taking place and he's writing them saying, Don't listen to anyone who tells you to put confidence in the flesh, but remember what Christ has done. And in fact, it's, it's going to be knowing Christ as the central theme that Paul says is to permeate the life of the believers at Philippi. Look with uh, me to Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Paul says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord, uh, speaking to the church as a whole, to write these same things to you is no trouble for me, and it's safe for you. What I'm about to tell you, Paul says, I've said to you before, and I'm going to remind you of these basics uh, because it's important, it doesn't hurt me, and it's helpful to you. In many ways, as we think about returning to these basics, uh, there are things perhaps that you would say, yeah, obviously that's important. But it doesn't hurt me to repeat them, and it's good for you to hear them. And in fact, it's good for me to hear them as well as one of your pastors. He says, look out for the dogs. Not the cute, cuddly ones, perhaps, that you got for Christmas, but those mangy, wild ones who would run rabid in the streets. Look out for these evildoers, for those who mutilate the flesh. He says, we are the circumcision, the true circumcision, who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. For sake of time, Paul, uh, to summarize in verses 4, really through 6, begins to give his pedigree as a Jew and as a Pharisee and, and says, if anyone has reason to boast in the flesh, I have more. And he lays it all out. Uh, but as he lays out the confidence that he has in the flesh, he gets to verse 7, which is where uh, I want to turn our attention. And he says, whatever gain I had counted as loss for the sake of Christ... Whatever gain I had, I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. You see, if we're going to 
renew our commitment to Christ and to his church, we need to make two commitments uh, found here in Philippians chapter 3. Commitment number one is we need to commit to see the surpassing worth of knowing Christ in 2021. Commit to seeing the surpassing worth of knowing Christ in 2021. That's exactly how Paul describes what took place when he came to faith in Christ. He began to reevaluate everything in comparison to knowing Christ. And he says, nothing compares to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. The church throughout its history has known how foundational it means to, to know God, to know Christ. What is the chief end of man, the Westminster Catechism asks? Well, it answers, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. You can't glorify God and enjoy Him forever apart from knowing Him. Or better yet, as we're going to see in this passage, being known by Him. God's Word says elsewhere uh, in John 17, 3, to talk about the importance of knowing God, Jesus would say, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Jeremiah would say in Jeremiah 9, 23 through 24, he says, if you're going to boast, let your boast be that you know that God is Lord. He says, you can boast in your strength and your wisdom. He says, don't boast in any of those things, but let the one who boasts boast in that he knows me and understands me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness. And in fact, God tells us that it's in knowing him that he delights What delights the heart of God is when his people know him and not just know about him, but know him intimately and personally as Lord and as Savior. In fact, Hosea 6 uh, expresses this very point in verse 6 when it says, I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, God says, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. God is telling us what's most important to him isn't our spiritual ritual, And in fact, if our ritual is detached from a knowing God, from an enjoyment of God, then it's void and it's worthless. But what God delights in is when his people know him. And to know God, J.I. Packer in his book, Knowing God, our our men studied this book uh, over, uh, over the summer. He says that knowing God is the foundation, the shape and the goal of our lives, that knowing God gives principle of priority and a scale of values in which we live our life by. And in fact, to know God begins to put everything else in our life in order. He says what makes life worthwhile is having a big enough objective, something which catches our imagination and lays hold of our allegiance. And the Christian has these two things in a way that nobody else can claim. What is higher and more exalted and a more compelling goal than knowing God. To know God is to know Christ, Paul is saying to us. And he says, when I think about what it means to be in relationship with God, and I weigh everything that I used to to count on, everything that I used to find my security and significance in, he says, it's nothing in comparison to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. That's the commitment that I want for us, that we would see what it means to know Christ, to see the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. In many ways, you might say, Michael, there's so many things that we need to to revisit and recalibrate as we step into a new year. And I know that there are a lot of things that that we need to reevaluate. But the one thing that we need more than anything else is to see the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. 
What does it mean to know Christ? Well, Paul is telling us in, in this passage, as we saw particularly in, in verses 1 through 6 and verses 9 through 11, he's showing us that knowing Christ means that you've placed your confidence in Him alone for salvation and you're living out of the new identity that you have through faith in Christ. That you've placed your trust in Christ alone for salvation and that you're living out of the new identity that you have in Him. You see, this can be contrasted with with trusting in ourselves. That's that's what Paul is talking about when he says putting confidence in the flesh or or with any idea, any thought, any philosophy that would lead us to de-emphasize the significance of the work of Christ on the cross and even to reject Jesus as Lord. He says none of these things, confidence in ourselves and anything that would reject Jesus as Savior and Lord will lead to security Eternal security and eternal salvation. In, in, in verses 1 through 6, Paul is really laying out the case against legalism. That temptation that we can earn our standing before God, our uh, favor with God, our forgiveness from God on the basis of our own religious works. Paul's telling us that we're not the captain of our own soul, that we're not the one who determines our own destiny, that we can't save ourselves. We saw that at Christmas, that the incarnation reminds us that we require outside intervention for our salvation. Paul tells us to put no confidence in the flesh. Verses 5 through 6, if you read through what he's saying there in Philippians 3, 5, and 6, he's saying don't put confidence in. In, in a ritual, he says, I was circumcised on the eighth day according to, uh, to the law. Don't put confidence in your ethnicity. He, he speaks of his position within Judaism and confidence even in your, your rank or your tradition as a Pharisee of Pharisees in your rule keeping and your obedience and your, your righteousness on the basis of your works. Paul is saying, don't place your confidence in these things, even in your zeal. He says, as to zeal, I persecuted the church. I was so committed to the purity of Judaism that anybody who who saw that Christianity was the fulfillment of what God promised the Jews, I persecuted, Paul says. And all of that changed when he came to know Christ. He said, all the confidence I had in my standing based on these things, in comparison to knowing Christ, it's trash. It's worthless. You can't know Christ based on putting confidence in yourself. Paul speaks of legalism, of Jewish nationalism and and legalism that was found within Judaism of his day. In the same way, we can't put confidence in any Christian background and upbringing that we've had. We, we can't put confidence that we um, uh, are within a, a particular nation or group. We can't put confidence in our own ability, our own traditions, our own, uh, our own church attendance. So none of these things are the, the foundational security for our salvation. Paul says that we must put our confidence in Christ alone. And that confidence in Christ alone leads to living out of a new identity that's found through faith in Christ. In verses 9 through 11, Paul breaks down what it means to know Christ in three categories. These three categories really are the three categories that define salvation, past, present, and future. They're doctrinal categories, but they're also vital for for our own growth and maturity in Christ. He speaks in verse 9 of justification, of being made righteous by faith in Christ. He says there in verse 9, 
that he wants to be found in Christ, not having a righteousness of his own that comes through the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. This is, this is what it means to be in relationship with God, that our, our position before God, our standing before God is not based on what we do for God, but it's based on what God has done for us in Christ. And our receiving that work, that righteousness that comes from God by faith in Christ. That's what it means to know Christ, Paul says justification. But he goes on in verse 10 and he speaks of sanctification, to know Christ more and to become more like him. He says that he he wants to uh, know God, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, that I may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. This, This is the description of the ongoing work of sanctification in the Christian's life to know the power of his resurrection, the same power of the Holy Spirit who raised Christ from the dead and dwells every believer, helping us to say no to sin and unrighteousness and yes to God and righteousness. And and not only to know Christ, Paul says in Philippians 1.29 that it's been given to us not only to believe, but to suffer for Christ, to follow Christ no matter what it costs us, to speak up for Christ no matter the consequence that we would think about our life not in, in trying to, uh, to, to get by in this world and as many people as possible to accept us, but to live in such a way that we make Christ known and that Christ is what defines us, not some cultural conformity, not, not some uh, acceptance by man, but a, a knowing Christ and sharing in his suffering that we may even be like him in his death, that our life would be defined by, by going low, by giving up, by serving, by being the least, so we might be faithful to God and that he might raise us up as we humble ourselves, that he might exalt us, that we, as we serve, we might be reminded that he came not to be served, but to serve, and we're only doing what's rightful of us as his servants. That as we go low in humble obedience to God, that he'll exalt us to glory when he returns. And that's the third aspect of knowing Christ that he speaks of in verse 11, of glorification, of anticipating our future resurrection. Paul says that by any means possible in verse 11, I may attain the resurrection of the dead. Where I'm headed is future resurrection. Paul speaks with humility that I may attain by whatever means possible. I don't know the time or how it's going to happen, but I know what awaits me. He's not uncertain of the future resurrection. Just look at verse 20 and 21. He says, I know where my citizenship is, and I know when Christ returns, I'm going to be made like him. That's where his confidence is. These three aspects of our salvation and of knowing Christ help us to, to be confident no matter, uh, no matter what struggle we may experience that we're made right by faith in Christ, not by our works for Christ, that our sanctification is our present work, that the present duty of the Christian is to know Christ more and to become more like him. And that what sustains us and what is our hope is that the future glorification that awaits us. In justification, we're free from the guilt of sin. In sanctification, we're progressively being freed from the power of sin and its grip on our lives. And in glorification, one day we'll be free even from the presence of sin as we live fully and forever in the presence of God. This is the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. 
And what difference does this make? Paul actually tells us in verses 7 through 8 the difference of knowing Christ. He, he says, if you look back, I read it earlier, but to refresh us, he says, whatever gain I had before, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered all things. And in fact, I count them as rubbish. It's the strongest word possible Paul could use here, almost cursing, uh, excrement, he says. That's how I view it in comparison, in order, I should say, that I may gain Christ. It's, it's in knowing Christ reflects itself in the way that we view things. Knowing Christ makes a difference in the way we weigh things in our life, our outlook and our perspective, our position before others, our purpose in this life. Also down, if we apply this, we, we kind of bring it into our daily life. Knowing Christ makes a difference in how you think about work. Your comfort in this life, your satisfaction, but also your hardship, your sufferings, as well as your joy and your success. Knowing Christ makes a difference in the, the ordinary, the, the mundane. We've all experienced a lot of that this year. It makes a difference in your family life, in your, in your home. It makes a difference in your relationships. We talked a lot about that as a church. It makes a difference in, in the life of the church and the, the ministry that we do as a church. Let me, let me break it down this way. Knowing Christ makes a difference in all of these areas in, in these ways. Knowing Christ puts things in their proper place. Some of you, your work has demanded a lot of you this year. Some of you, your, your work you've struggled with to find purpose in. Knowing Christ makes a difference in putting these things in their proper place. One of the ways in which work uh, can, uh, can creep in and, and have a, uh, an undue role in our lives is not just the time that it demands from us, but the, the way it grips our heart and knowing Christ puts those things in proper place. Knowing Christ helps us to endure what's hard. We've all experienced a lot of hard this year. So you lost people you love, lost things that were important to you, not experienced things that you had hoped for. If in this life we have our only hope, we're doomed to be disappointed. We're doomed to despair. But knowing Christ helps us to endure what's hard. It deepens our joy as well. It's not only that um, knowing Christ gives us joy, but it's knowing Christ that gives joy in what we do, in our family, in our relationships, in the work that we do. It, it gives purpose underneath everything that we do. Some of you struggling in that aspect of maybe work or family or the mundane. It's knowing Christ that's underneath all of that. None of it's a waste. All of it can be for God and for His purpose. It encourages us not to give up. It motivates faithfulness that, that we would press on. That's what Paul's going to say in verses 12 through 16. And it compels us to make Christ known. If we know the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, how can we not tell every sinner along the way that what you need most is what I found? I'm the least, but I found the one who matters the most. That's the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. And our mission statement we say that delighting in Christ precedes declaring and displaying the gospel 
And we do that intentionally. And if I could use the fire analogy further, I've learned over the last few months that if you, if you start with, say, wet wood or, um, <clears throat> or maybe you know, wood that isn't really dead, uh, and you try to start to build a fire with that, you're not going to get very far. But if you build a fire and you get a good bed of embers or glowing, you can lay any wood on it and it'll burn up. I did it this weekend. Had a good fire going, embers there uh, in, the, in the stove. I took some wood that had been laying in the snow. I wanted to uh, keep the fire going. I knew that those embers were hot enough that no matter what I laid on it, it would burn it up. And sure enough, I laid that wood fresh from the snow onto that hot bed of embers and it burned just like I had laid the driest piece of wood in it. See, if you think of it this way, think of knowing Christ, of delighting in Christ as the bed of embers, which fans into flame a passion and a zeal to declare and to display the gospel. See, if I'm honest, both about myself and I think holistically of us as Christians and as the church, We do so little for God and his kingdom because we delight in Christ so little and so weakly. We do so little for God and his kingdom because we delight in Christ so little and so weakly. But the good news is, as we humbly come to him, no matter how weak our delight may be, as we keep pressing on, he can grow that delight into a bed of embers that will fan into flame, a faithfulness to Christ and to his mission. You know, we're now moving beyond Christmas. And the question always hits me, the thought always hits me is, how do I move beyond Christmas and keep the, uh, the delight and the, the wonder and the adoration of Christ? The answer is really simple. The best way to move beyond Christmas is to keep your eyes on Christ and to keep treasuring Him above everything else. Just like those shepherds. Leaving Christmas rejoicing and being amazed at what God has done in Christ. Will you commit with me to to see the surpassing worth of knowing Christ in 2021? I pray that you will. But the second thing Paul tells us in verses 12 through 16 is how that surpassing worth of knowing Christ gets worked out in our life. And it's this, we need to commit to knowing Christ more in 2021. Well, you say, duh, Michael, but, but that's, the, that's what follows. Paul is laying out the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. And then he says, in essence, get after it. He, he says that we are to humbly press on knowing Christ because he has graciously made us his own. You see, in verse... Verse 12, Paul begins, he says, look, what I've laid out, I haven't arrived. I've not made perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Now, let me take an informal poll here. It's anonymous because I won't see your hands, Uh, but who of you feels like after 2021, you have arrived spiritually? Who feels like you have it all together and that you're just killing it when it comes to your Christian faith? I, I presume, I'm not a psychic, but I presume not many of you raised your hands. You see, on, on one hand, we hear this challenge to, to get after it, to work to knowing Christ more. And, and sometimes that can hit us and it can discourage us because we feel like we're not where we should be or where we want to be or where God wants us to be. But at the same time, 
It's meant to encourage us that we need to keep on even when we feel like we've struggled uh, to not lose heart, to not give up. But, but it, I, I want it to be an encouragement to us because as the Apostle Paul reflects, even on his own journey spiritually, he's saying, look, I haven't arrived. And, and, and we, we join him in that chorus knowing that we haven't arrived. And yet the temptation to self-sufficiency is so real in the Christian life. Maybe you don't think you have it all together, but you think to yourself, I know if I do just a little bit more, God, uh, I can, uh, you know, I got this. And, and in fact, the, uh, the tone and the tenor of the Christian self-help genre tells us that we are trusting often more in self-sufficiency than in Christ's sufficiency. We can't look to ourselves Paul says you can't trust in yourself for your salvation. Paul's also telling us here in verse 12 that you can't trust in yourself for your continued sanctification. Did you begin by trusting in Christ and the work of the Spirit uh, uh, that Paul would say to the Galatians and you think you're, you're now going to be perfected by your flesh? No. We, we need Christ and his ongoing work through the Spirit to press on. But he encourages us and he meets us here in our weakness and our insufficiency and our inadequacy. Look, you may not be where you want to be. You may not be where you need to be. You may not be where God wants you to be. But you will not get there based on your own work, trusting in your own abilities, trusting in your, in your, your own capacity to make spiritual changes in your life. You will get there only through humbly depending on Christ admitting that you only know him because he has first made you his own, and then knowing that you can be where he wants you to be and where you know you need to be through depending on him. Let that be an encouragement to you as a believer. God will get us where he wants us to be because he is more committed to our sanctification than even we are committed to it. All those whom he calls to himself he will bring our salvation to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. You're not there yet. God will get you there. But in order for you to get where God wants you to be, Paul is saying you must press on. You must commit to knowing Christ more. I want us as a church to know Christ more. I want us... To, to take the opportunity to begin a new year with a renewed commitment to pursuing Him and, make, and, and growing in our knowledge of Him and our commitment to Him and our faithfulness to know Him and to make Him known. Think about the language verses 12 through 14 uses. Press on twice, verse 12, verse 14. Straining after uh, the, the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I love Paul says that he's straining after this upward call uh, of the prize of God in Christ Jesus. Do you know that the prize, the thing that we seek as we seek to know Christ more, the thing that we seek isn't a destination, but it's a person. The prize is God himself. As we commit ourselves to know him more, when we know him more, that's the prize. The, the goal is God to know him more, to enjoy him more, to be satisfied in him more. And Paul would say, one thing I do you boil it all down. He says this one thing, verse 13. 
As I forget what lies behind and I strain towards what lies ahead, this goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul says he's forgetting what lies behind. I think that can be taken in two ways. It can be taken as past failures or past success. He says, I'm not going to allow past failure to hold me back and I'm not going to allow past achievements to coax me into coasting spiritually. Which of those is more likely to be your temptation in 2021? To allow past failures to discourage you from growing spiritually or to allow relative past success in your spiritual life to coax you into coasting spiritually? It could be either one. Paul says either one would be a mistake. We must let go of 2020, which I know, I know we're all eager to. But even spiritually, we must forget what lies behind and press on for what lies ahead. This call to know God, to be satisfied in God. When pastor asked a compelling question, he says, What one change could you make in the coming year in order to pursue the one thing that matters most? Or perhaps to put it a better way, what one change can you make in this coming year in order to pursue the one person that matters most? Something to think about. As we renew our commitment to Christ in the church, we have to think about what needs to change. What one thing needs to change for you? And as I ask that question, I know that those kind of questions can be uh, somewhat frustrating because it's like, how do I process a whole year as well as an unknown year ahead of me and think about one thing that I need to do? And I get that. <clears throat> but I, I do want to encourage us to, to, to not over, to underestimate the importance and the impact that one change can make in the, in the trajectory of our growth spiritually. And, and because I know it's frustrating just to think about one thing, let me break it down into a few categories to help us. You see, I believe that if we're going to, to know Christ more in 2021, it's going to come through God's word and prayer, in community with others in the church, and as we work out our faith in all of life and for the good of our community. It's going, those three categories are important. It's going to happen through God's word and prayer. Those are foundational spiritual disciplines. It's not the only ones. There may be others, but these are foundational. It's going to come in community through the church. And it's going to come as we work out our faith in all of life and for the good of our community. So within those categories, let me ask you, how will you prioritize more time in God's word and prayer in the new year? As a church, we read through God's word in 2020. I'm still catching up even a little bit in my own reading plan. Some of you may be in the same place. Some of you may have been discouraged and given up. We'll have an opportunity to start afresh the commitment to be in God's word regularly. Maybe you'll join me. I recently, towards the latter half of this year, downloaded and purchased the Dwell Bible app so that not only I could read God's Word, but I could hear God's Word in a multitude of different ways. Uh, It's a great resource. But but beyond a resource like that for you to use individually, I want to encourage you to take advantage of our upcoming men's and women's Bible studies. Our women are going to be studying Philemon. Our men are going to be studying Jonah. And we're not only going to be studying God's Word for four weeks. It's a four-week commitment in January. Uh, bleeding into February, I think, for our women. Um, But it's also going to be giving you a tool to study God's Word on your own. Look, if we're going to know Christ more through God's Word and prayer, let's, let's press into these opportunities. But also in community with others in the church, how will we prioritize community in the context of TCC this year? Yes, that's going to mean how will I prioritize gathering with my church 
How will I prioritize, prioritize small groups in this new year? Some um, know the benefit and the blessing of being in community and in the context of small groups where you're being spurred along, where you know others and you're known by others. There's both accountability and encouragement. But if you're not, I, I want to encourage you to reevaluate how that could be a greater priority for you in 2021. But also how we can have a greater commitment to one another. I think to be a growing church means we have to be growing Christians who are pursuing one another, pursuing Christ, and as we pursue Him, pursuing one another. That looks like a phone call. That looks like getting together for a meal or meeting for coffee. It looks like encouraging one another when we see each other. It means praying for one another when we don't see each other. It means checking in when we grow concerned or perhaps challenging when, when we hear something that, that seems off or, or blessing and, and speaking um, encouragement directly to one another. How will we prioritize community in the context of TCC? And then, faith, and then finally, as we work out our faith in all of life and for the good of our community, in what area of your life do you need to apply your faith more in 2021? Maybe this is a relationship. Maybe this is in the context of your work. Maybe this is in your home. We, we started the Jesus Kids Club in the midst of this pandemic to, to foster and encourage greater discipleship in the context of the home. Dads, maybe there's a challenge for you to take up the, the, the challenge to, to really pursue greater discipleship with your children, to, to encourage families to, to, to be in God's word, to, to encourage their, within, uh, <clears throat> within the context of our workplaces, to, uh, to apply our faith, to, to encourage us, even as we talked about earlier, how our faith makes a difference in these areas. How, how will you allow your faith to be worked out in an area of your life? I think part of what it means for us to faithfully live on mission is to add our faith to what we're doing. Where do you need to add your faith to what you're doing? And to even be more explicitly on this area, with whom do you need to share your faith? In 2021, I want all of us to ask the question, who's our one? Who's the one person that we will pray for and seek to, to love, to serve, and to share the gospel with in this new year? Will you join me in, in committing ourselves to, uh, to ask that and to, to pray for that person, to pursue that person? The gospel advances by people telling other people about the hope that they found in Jesus. I don't want it to stop with me, and I don't want it to stop with you. If we're to renew our commitment to Christ and his church, these are the kinds of questions we must ask. We must return to the basics of seeing the surpassing worth of Christ and to committing ourselves to knowing Christ more in the new year. I end where, where Paul ends in verse 13 as he reflects on all of this, or excuse me, verse 12, when he says, I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Maybe the basic that we need to return to the most is to not get over the fact that God has made us his own. What is our only hope in life and death? is that we don't belong to ourselves. But God in Christ has made us his own. If he's made us his own, if he knows us, how can we not be compelled to know him more and to make him known? I pray we do just that in this coming year. Pray with me.